Welcome to Court of Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Sir. All right, man. We are entering the madness. Uh, NBA draft happened. Free agency started. Talk about both of those. Talk about some of the remaining free agents who's left to sign. And then we'll finish it off with everybody's favorite segment. What's the verdict? Well, I will ask you a series of questions and you will give the guilty or innocent verdict. But to start, NBA draft. Uh, overall, this was a talent-filled draft, something that I think a lot of people were comparing to 2003 and 96. So just to start, uh, what were some of your biggest surprises of the draft? Um, I think that probably for me, one of the biggest surprises was to see Scotty Barnes, who um, a couple of months ago, I think a lot of people thought was a pretty high-level prospect and they expected to go in the top 15. I don't think anyone like three or four months ago would have expected he'd go in the top five. So he was an extremely fast rising prospect towards the very end. A lot of teams fell in love with his versatility. He's a player that right now, as is, is an NBA ready body at six foot nine, 227 pounds. He has the ability already right now to defend multiple positions at a plus level at an NBA level. And he also has excellent ball handling ability at six foot nine. He basically plays point guard. So he's one of those rare um, extra tall jumbo point guards, kind of like in the Ben Simmons mold, but without the crappy work ethic and crappy motor. He won everybody over with his great work ethic, um, his personality. He's a great leader. He has all the intangibles. His biggest critique is um, he obviously didn't show much offensively. He was coming off the bench at Florida State. Um, and he obviously didn't have much to show from an outside shot or free throw shooting or mid-range shooting standpoint either. He basically relied on using his, sky, uh, his size, scoring in transition, um, making smart cuts, et cetera. So it's going to be interesting to see um, if he can develop the other aspects of his game, if he can just become an above-average offensive player he could be a future all-star because he projects to be an elite defensive player. And at the very least, he'll be a great facilitator on offense if he can't become a good scorer. Yeah, it was a surprise, but also now seeing that Kyle Lowry is out of Toronto, it doesn't come as that much of a surprise given that clearly they're going to go into probably, I would say, a, a tween between a rebuild, like a full rebuild and um, it, like – what some teams might call being stuck in purgatory, but I'm sure Masai will figure something out. But yeah, Scotty goes number four, following Patrick Williams going number four, also surprised last year at a Florida State. Um, so, you know, it overall, I, I do think that that was the biggest surprise of the draft. Um, aside from that, a lot of people didn't expect Josh Giddy to uh, go number six to Oklahoma City, City probably expected. Uh, Franz Wagner, Kuminga to be taken at number six. So um, that was another person that I, I think some people were surprised to see go so high. Um, and then outside of that, I think uh, not a surprise, but an interesting story with Franz going to the Orlando Magic. I'm sure they got the down low from uh, Moritz, who is his brother who plays there and re-signed there. So uh, the brothers will be playing together uh, for the Magic. All right. So now that we've talked about those picks, what is, in a quick snapshot, your best and worst picks of the draft? 
I mean, it's hard to say that uh, Cade Cunningham is not the best pick. I mean, it's he's the number one overall pick for a reason. Um, generational talent overall. It'll be interesting to see how him and Killian Hayes uh, figure it out in Detroit. But I think uh, Dwayne Casey will figure out how to utilize both. It'll probably take them a little bit uh, to obviously get into the Eastern Conference playoffs. But overall, I think Detroit has a bright future looking forward. Um, and then a questionable pick overall for me, just given that they gave uh, Jared Allen five years, $100 million, was Evan Mobley at three. I know that that's the best player available at that pick. But overall for the Cavs, they have... Garrett Allen. Now they have Evan Mobley. They have overall this big log jam now at the four or five position. So it'll be interesting to see how they juggle that um, overall. Yeah, for me, um, I would have to say that I think my, my least favorite pick of all was probably Franz Wagner at number eight by the magic. I really thought it was an unwarranted pick. Um, I really don't know that He's going to be the kind of player that can contribute anytime soon. He's like probably at best a spot up shooter at this point. Um, and I don't think that he's going to be ready to play defense at an NBA level for at least another year or two. He's probably going to need a lot of strengthening and a lot of seasoning. Um, his brother also hasn't been really a, a great pick. So I hope that he turns out better than his brother has up to this point. He hasn't really, um, turned out the way the magic probably would have hoped. So hopefully one of the Wagners ends up being worth something. Um, and then I think my favorite picks, I'm going to have to give it a tie two way. I love, I got to give the magic some redemption credit. The pick of Jalen Suggs at number five for them. That was the player that a lot of guys um, had going in the top four ahead of Scotty Barnes. And he was the one that slid so I think that to get him at number five is a good pickup for the Magic. He was definitely a player that most people would argue was definitely a lottery pick. So to get him in the top five is nice. And I think that Jonathan Kuminga for the Warriors is also a really nice pickup. He's a guy that obviously is still a project player. He's not really polished offensively yet, um, but he has excellent athleticism that can't be taught. and. I think that he could develop into a really, really impactful player down the line, especially in a system and organization where he's going to have time to develop and grow in a winning situation with winning players. So I think that they could probably um, maximize his very great potential. Yeah. And I think the other thing talking about uh, one Jalen to another, obviously everybody knew that Jalen Green was likely to go number two. And I think as you look at this Houston Rockets team, as they ended up uh, obviously sending James Harden to the Brooklyn Nets, they look like they're putting together an exciting young team overall. Kevin Porter Jr. showed flashes last year. Really, the Rockets got him for next to nothing from the Cleveland Cavaliers after his outburst. Jalen Green comes in with this swagger overall. He's going to bring the short shorts back and bring that over to Houston. Uh, and then uh, Kenyon Martin Jr., I think, is another exciting young player. So they overall, I think, are going to have an exciting team in the next couple of years. Yeah, I think that Jalen Green is going to be one of my favorite players to watch going forward. I think that he's going to have the most exciting game to watch um, next season and should probably be 
firmly in contention for rookie of the year, especially in Houston where he'll get plenty of opportunity to have um, high volume shots in their offense. The only thing that I have a little bit concerned with is Kevin Porter Jr. Although I think he is a player that down the road will become a pretty great player. He'll probably average close to 20 points per game next year, if not um, low twenties. The thing is he seems to be almost identical to Jalen Green in playing style and I guess um, perceived role. They're both 6'5", 6'6", combo guards who are mostly isolation heavy guards that are maybe not the most efficient with their shot selection. Um, So I don't know having both of those guys in the same backcourt, how it's going to work. I think that one of them is going to have to become more of a facilitator. I don't think either one really wants to be. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how those two fit together. But, you know, it's not a bad problem to have to have two guys that could potentially down the road become all-star guards. Yes, I agree. But moving on to NBA free agency, uh, a lot of teams got better. A lot of teams got worse. But madness has begun, and really it's kind of coming to a close. So as you look at everybody in uh, the East, who do you think got better in the East? Well, um, personally, in my opinion, there's two or three teams that I'd say improved, but my favorite offseason moves were made by the Chicago Bulls. I know that the Miami Heat um, pulled off some pretty big splash moves, and I'll, I'll get into that in a second. I think that they definitely got better as well. But the thing is, I think what the Chicago Bulls did was add the best players for the best value of any team. I think that they were able to add a player in DeMar DeRozan, who is a borderline all-star. Every now and then, he's like an all-star player um, for a pretty cheap deal. And I think that he complements what they have there pretty well. DeMar DeRozan isn't exactly the best outside shooter, but they have plenty of that with Nikola Vucevic, Zach Levine, and co. over there. So I think that's an excellent addition for them. Um, And obviously, I think it's a great pickup for them to get Lonzo Ball who is a player that once was ridiculed for having a broken jump shot. And he's a player that now has become pretty deadly from three-point range. He was taking about seven three-point attempts per game for the Pelicans, knocking down around 40%. So he really has become a solid outside threat. And he's already been um, a proven passer with his vision. And they get him for a pretty reasonable deal. I mean, they're getting him for, I believe, four years, $85 million. So good value for a player that turns 24, three, three years, 85 million. Yeah. So three years, three years, $85 million for a player who turns 24 in October and has his best years of basketball in front of him. I think that he's going to complement what they have there very nicely. So now you're looking at the bulls and they have a starting lineup that features Lonzo ball, DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic, Patrick Williams, and Zach Levine. That's got to be a top four lineup in the East and maybe even the West because that that starting lineup has pretty much no holes. I expect Patrick Williams to continue to get better um, with a full offseason to gel. I think that they're going to do really great things next season. The Miami Heat, I think, obviously got a lot better too. Um, the thing is, I don't give them as highly of a mark because I think that they really overpaid in order to make themselves better for a go all in for next season approach. 
that they're going to probably regret in the final two to three years of those contracts that they doled out with mass with the massive maximum extension that they gave Jimmy Butler um, four years to a player that's 32 now. And then Kyle Lowry getting a three year, $30 million deal for a player who's 35. Um, Duncan Robinson for, for uh, 90 million, five, five years is pretty fair. I think 18 million per year for a player that is still pretty young and is an elite shooter. I think that that's um, pretty fair. PJ Tucker, I don't really love the addition as much as everybody else. Um, yeah, he's a solid defender, but he doesn't really give much in the way of offense. Um, I don't know that he'll be able to give them much offense next season. He already averaged less than nine points per game for the Bucs. Um, and I think that at 36 years old, to pay him two more years, $7 million a year until he's 38, um, that's, that might be a little steep. I like the addition of Markeith Morris. He really brings some toughness and some size when they really needed it. And I think that the one thing that could be the, the game changer for this team is to get Victor Oladipo to agree to come back on a one-year minimum deal. That is a player that if he can come back the way that everyone is projecting him to, his doctors say supposedly he'll come back um, sometime in December or early January. He's only 29, 30 years old right now. So if he can return to even 80, 85% of the player that he used to be, when he was an all-star that would put this team over the top and probably give this team the best defensive team in the league. So um, I think that they will be a top three team in the East next year. I just don't know that they're going to love the decisions they made after next season. Yeah, I agree with you on both points and I, I don't really want to continue to expand on those. I think there are some other teams also that got uh, better as well. Um, I think, when you look at the Wizards, they turned Russell Westbrook into uh, several players with KCP, uh, Montrez Harrell, and Kyle Kuzma. The biggest issue with the Wizards last year was that they didn't really have depth. They added Spencer Dinwiddie. So this team overall added some depth, some good pieces, and I think is a much more complete team now that they've uh, traded Westbrook over to the Lakers, and I think Spencer Dinwiddie, while his three-point percentage isn't what you'd want to have on the team, he did increase his scoring uh, every year, except for last year, obviously, because he got injured three games in. So I think Spencer Dinwiddie is a nice addition to this team. And then looking at the New York Knicks, uh, I think Knicks fans have uh, good reason to be excited going into next year. They return most of their core, and then they add Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier to the team. Obviously, these two guys aren't going to be expected to be lights out superstardom, but they are good complement pieces to an already good young team and bring some of that veteran leadership. So I think the Knicks and the Wizards also improved uh, from last year. Yeah, to be honest with you, um, I think that the Wizards did get a little better in terms of the fit for Bradley Beal. I think that Spencer Dinwiddie will probably be a better pairing for him than Russell Westbrook was. But I think that the Wizards are still desperately trying to hang on to something that still is not going to move the needle. I think that this, at best, maybe raises them one seed. They'll probably be like, what, uh, a six or seven seed in the East next year with this kind of change, whereas opposed to last season, they were a fringe playoff team, maybe a, a play-in tournament team. I really don't think that that's really worth it. I would have just blown it up, traded Bradley Beal, 
try to get some big picks for this draft, which had some great players. But um, enough about the East. Let's talk a little bit about the West. The West had some major moves as well. What are some of your favorite and least favorite moves that you saw in the West? Well, I, I'm going to start by least favorite. I think that the both Mavericks and uh, the Pelicans didn't really get better. I felt like they went into this offseason with a game plan to get a decent point guard. We'll see if uh, Goran Dragic ends up getting traded over to one of those two teams after being traded to the Raptors um, for Kyle Lowry to the Heat. But I felt like their whole game plan really was predicated on they were going to get a point guard to pair with Zion on the Pelicans and Luka on the Mavericks. The Pelicans kind of got it with getting Devonta Graham from uh, the the Hornets, but he's not really your prototypical point guard. He's more, I think, of, of a two rather than a point guard. So um, I think that those two teams had the most disappointing offseason, uh, in my opinion, from the West. Yeah, the Pelicans acquisition doesn't make that much sense to me. I mean, Devontae Graham, I get it. He's a nice little, he's a nice player. Um, I think that ideally he's best suited to be a six man off the bench. He's someone that can probably grow into what Jordan Clarkson has become for the Jazz. But I think that for a team that's trying to compete and show Zion Williamson, hey, um, you should definitely resign here when your contract expires. You're wasting another year. They definitely did not get any better. And they also didn't retain Lonzo Ball, so they got worse. And that guy was a young point guard who hadn't even turned 24 yet, had shown great improvement, had become an amazing outside shooter from three consistently, um, and also is a great passer who doesn't really need to have the ball in his hands to score that often. He's a very willing passer that would have probably fit in really nicely with Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson. I don't know why they let him go. So I have to agree that this was probably the, the worst deal. But um, what are some of your favorite deals in the West? Uh, you know, it, a couple deals that were under the radar and I think got their team better overall. We'll see what else they uh, continue to do. I think the Utah Jazz sending out Derek Favors, getting some rim protection and a good, I think, backup to uh, Rudy Gobert with Hassan Whiteside is something that is a bit underrated. Um, Hassan, I think, continues to uh, mature a bit from his Miami days and I think is starting to understand his role on a team. So I think that with Quinn Schneider, Hassan will be a great backup option to Rudy Gobert. And then additionally, I think their addition of Rudy Gay uh, is also an impact play on their part. Good role player, somebody who's going to come off the bench and give them some quality minutes and be able to score the ball. So I liked what the Jazz did overall um, to retain some of their guys, but also get in some veteran presence that I think was needed uh, based off the last playoffs. Yeah, and definitely, um, I think that we can't leave this discussion without mentioning the Lakers, who arguably had the biggest haul of anyone in the offseason, um, acquiring Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony, Dwight Howard, Trevor Ariza, Malik Monk, Wayne Ellington, Kent Bazemore, Kendrick Nunn, who probably the Heat should have paid. He only had to pay $5 million per year for two years. And Taylor Horton Tucker. So obviously, um, the Lakers went on a frenzy, but I'm going to go ahead and make a prediction that having Russell Westbrook on that team is not going to be the best fit in the world. If you have Russell Westbrook and LeBron on the same team, that means that one of those two guys has to play off the ball. LeBron doesn't traditionally like to play off the ball too much. 
he can be an off-the-ball player, but he's not ideally your best spot-up shooter. If LeBron is your best shooter, then you're probably in trouble if he's the number one three-point shooter you have in your lineup. Russell Westbrook playing off the ball basically means that he's a non-threat. No one's going to guard him. So they're just going to pack the paint, similar to what they did when Andre Drummond was there. And we saw how that turned out. So um, I don't think that Russell Westbrook is going to be a good fit there. And I'm personally excited to see LeBron and Russell Westbrook yelling at each other over Russell Westbrook taking pull-up three-pointers in the fourth quarter instead of passing to LeBron. It'll be interesting. I think that Frank Vogel definitely has work cut out for him. And I think when you look at this team, I'm sure they'll likely start the season where they play uh, a little bit more together. But I think as the season goes on, they'll probably start. But I could imagine that LeBron or Russell is going to get pulled like three minutes in, swap in Kendrick Nunn to play with LeBron, allow Kendrick to help space the floor and be just like a spot up three point shooter, essentially, and let LeBron run point forward. And then when Russell Westbrook comes in, um, sub a, a different player in for LeBron, say Carmelo Anthony, um, again, for the same reason, have somebody who's going to be a spot-up three-point shooter and help space the floor. So it'll be but it'll interesting. Be, but how is it going to work in close games in the playoffs in the fourth quarter when you have them both on the floor together? That's going to be a strange arrangement when LeBron, AD, and Russ are all on the floor at the same time. I cannot wait to see the memes of the three of them having their arms raised in the air all at the same time pointing at each other. It's going to be fantastic. Well, I think if we see LeBron continue to develop his three-point shot, I think last year was his most prolific year in terms of three-point shooting. If he continues to take that angle of veteran getting older, expanding his game by expanding the, his range and then AD as well, continuing to shoot the three, then it may not be an issue as long as Russell Westbrook is not taking his occasional or not so occasional uh, chucking up the ball from half court three. I guess we'll have to see where it goes, but um, now that we've talked about a lot of the deals that have happened, who are the free agents that are still left out there to be had that are worth getting. Who do you think is the most impactful player that's still on the market? I mean, I have to look at some of the restricted free agents as well as the free agents overall. So Kelly Oubre comes to mind, Lori Markkinen, uh, Dennis Schroeder. Those are the three, I think, big names uh, that have still yet to sign. And as you look at Schroeder, uh, turned down four years, 84 million last year. So, I think you look at that deal and I'm sure he wishes he could take that back because that's $21 million a year that he would have had that he's probably not going to get off of that again, unless he goes to a team where he can just completely light it up and, and get them to like the fourth seed. If he was on say the Houston Rockets. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where Dennis Schroeder goes. I definitely don't think he's going to be going back to the Lakers. I'm not sure where else he could fit other than, the couple of teams that we mentioned before being the Pelicans and the Mavericks. But Schroeder comes to mind, Kelly Oubre Jr. Again, I don't really see him returning to Golden State. We'll see where he ends up going. I envision him being a sign-in trade to a team, but it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And then Laurie Marketing, 
very well could go back to Chicago, but uh, apparently rumors are heating up that he might be going to the Hornets. So we'll see if Laurie Markkinen makes his way over to Charlotte. Yeah, when I'm looking at who's still available, I have to really say that I'm shocked that Reggie Jackson is still available. I think that he's probably the most impactful person left. Um, he's only 31 years old. He hit a career high 40.8% of his three-pointers on 7.5 attempts per game in the playoffs um, when it matters the most and obviously showed the strong ability to attack the rim. Um, I think that he was very impactful, averaged 17.8 points per game throughout the playoffs and was highly efficient. I think that he could really help some teams out. The thing is, obviously, the teams that are remaining that would offer him, that need his services, probably wouldn't be able to pay him what he deserves. So it remains to be seen if he's going to be taking a pay cut to go try to a contender on maybe a short-term deal or if he's looking to go to the highest bidder regardless of the situation. I think that the Miami Heat are a team that very badly need some point guard depth. They let Kendrick Nunn go. Um, Goran Dragic obviously is gone. They are starting Kyle Lowry and Tyler Hero is coming off the bench, but he's not really a true point guard. They could really use a guy like Reggie Jackson. I think that he would fit right in with what they have. It would make them even meaner than they already are. And I think that it would be great for him to go there and form the meanest team that ever existed. Um, Dennis Schroeder, obviously, for the same reasons, may find an opportunity with the Heat if he wanted to take a pay cut to try to win a ring. But I think that based on him declining the $80 million extension the Lakers offered him, he's looking to get paid. I just don't know if there's really a market out there for him the way that he thought there was. But um, other than that, the biggest wonder is Kawhi Leonard, who technically is a free agent also and hasn't yet re-signed with the Clippers. Um, you have to wonder if something is going on there behind the scenes. What's the holdup? He's expected to re-sign with them, but it is still a little bit strange that he hasn't signed. Yeah, I agree. I think maybe he's letting the dust settle, see what the team does overall, who they're trying to get around him. Uh, but it's uh, – it, NBA free agency did did not disappoint, and I think there's still some trades that might have yet to be had. Yep, I agree. Well, moving on to our last segment, what's the verdict? I will ask you a series of questions. You will give me the verdict on whether this person is guilty or innocent. Starting with Ted Leonisis had the following to say about Russell Westbrook's departure. Quote, we had a superstar player with the Wizards. He had an opportunity and wanted to be traded to the Lakers. Quote, quote, and I was dealing with the fact that as we were announcing Alex, being Alex Ovechkin of the Washington Capitals, I couldn't help but self-reflect on what a difference it is. Here's a great player in Russell Westbrook. Played in OKC, wanted to be traded. Went to Houston, wanted to be traded. Came to D.C., wanted to be traded. And is now in L.A. He's an unbelievably great person and an unbelievably great player. But that's the difference between the NBA and the NHL, I suppose. End quote. Is uh, Ted being guilty of being salty that Russell didn't want to stay a wizard? I think he definitely is. He's definitely suffering from Dan Gilbert syndrome when um, LeBron left him. But, I mean, it's just strange to say, like, players leaving free agency all the time. It's just the nature of the business. Teams also trade players all the time. And 
players don't really have a right to complain about it because it's the nature of the business. So for the owner of the team to be putting out a statement like that, um, basically implying that he's disloyal because he wanted to go elsewhere and leave a situation that clearly wasn't going to be a winning one. Um, I think he was a little bit salty. He's definitely guilty of that. Yeah, I agree. I think that uh, he is absolutely guilty of being salty. What I don't understand is I do feel like they got equitable value back for Russell. And overall, we talked about it earlier. I think their team got better. So to me, it was just an unnecessary comment overall. I think he is just someone, we've talked about this at length on the podcast, that is not good with change. And it took him forever to break up the wall Beal duo. It's obviously taking him forever to fully throw in the towel and just do a full rebuild. He sticks with coaches for long tenures, maybe when they should have been let go earlier. So somebody who is very comfortable with having people be on his team for long periods of time, like Alex Ovechkin, like Bradley Beal, like John Wall, but I think needs to be... uh, but there really was no reason for his comment. Yeah, definitely. Moving on. Kendrick Nunn talked about earlier was a restricted free agent. The heat removed his qualifying offer and that led him to subsequently sign with the Lakers for two years, $10 million. But he guilty of not valuing the rookie of the year runner up from last year. I think the heat are definitely guilty of not properly valuing him. I don't think that he's obviously going to be a star player or anything like that but he's the kind of guy that would probably fill in really nicely in that six man off the bench type role, that combo guard off the bench type role against bench level competition. He's solid. He averaged 14.6 points per game last year um, with pretty solid efficiency, 48.5% from the field, 38% from three, 93% from the free throw only turned it over 1.4 times per game. Um, has decent athleticism at six foot two, can still finish above the rim, and is only 26 years old. And as he mentioned, finished second in rookie of the year. His best years are still ahead of him. It is really mind boggling that the Heat, a team that right now is in need of some depth um, off the bench for point guard and guard, let him walk to the Lakers for $5 million per year when they could have easily extended him and they had his bird rights. They could have easily gone into the luxury tax to retain him. Um, and I think that they could have probably paid him those $5 million per year and still not even have gone over the tax. So it really is strange why they didn't keep him. I think they, even if they didn't plan to keep him long-term, it was dumb not to keep him because he could have been used as a trade ship down the road for something else. You never know what could be available during the trade deadline halfway through the season. The Heat probably are still likely a piece away from being in that top tier of championship contenders, a player like Kendrick Nunn, if he was having a good year off the bench, could have been a nice chip to probably acquire a bigger fish at the very least. So it makes no sense to me. Yeah. I've always looked at the whole situation with Kendrick Nunn, very uh, confused because he played extremely well. He was a runner up rookie of the year. Uh, and I think Tyler Hero was third in that year, and he was undrafted. And so clearly he had potential. I felt like last year he was misused or not even used at all. There were so many games where he wasn't even played, and then all of a sudden somebody got injured, and then he was playing for two weeks straight, 
putting up amazing points. I think he broke some of uh, Dwayne Wade's records for rookie scoring when uh, he was the runner-up rookie of the year. So I've never really understood why it seemed like he was written off. Obviously, there were some concerns on the defensive front, but it seems like he went out and gave it his all every time he played, and he clearly is a good player. So not sure what happened there, but wishing him the best on the Lakers. Definitely. The other aspect of him that goes undervalued as well was his ability to, as he mentioned, go long stretches of time without playing and then just be thrown in and be able to put up points and produce even though he wasn't getting consistent playing time, he was still able to produce consistently, contrary to Kyle Kuzma's quote, saying that it is difficult to be consistent in an inconsistent role. Kendrick Nunn was consistent in an inconsistent role, and that is rather difficult to do. So I do wish him the best of luck, and it is really um, a loss on the Heat's part. Yeah. Well, to our final question, the Sixers are now claiming that they'd be fine taking Ben Simmons back to rejoin the team after asking an exorbitant haul for him, which they probably expected they weren't going to get. So are the Sixers guilty of causing drama for no good reason? I don't think the Sixers were causing drama for no good reason, per se. I think that they obviously were motivated to move Ben Simmons. I think that for Ben Simmons, what happened was they were trying to move him because they realized finally that the experiment with Joel Embiid is not going to work. They're not going to be able to move him long-term. They're not going to be able to probably win a championship with those two. They're just not stylistically a good fit with one another, but his value is at an all-time low. And I think that offering him to so many different teams really soured their relationship. He obviously heard about all the different trades that were being proposed. And at this point, he basically knows that they didn't really want him. They don't see a future. So now that the Sixers are trying to come back and say, oh, hey, uh, we want you back because they realize they're not going to be able to get value for him at this point. Um, he's kind of upset and he's like, no, I don't really want to communicate with you guys. I don't think that they were trying to cause drama for no reason. I think that they were just trying to get what they felt was fair value to try to maybe give Joel Embiid a chance to take the Sixers to the next level because they've thrown in the towel on that pairing. So it just didn't work out. Yeah, it's... I- I, I do think they're a little guilty of stirring the pot for no reason. I think you have to look at the recency bias of he didn't play well in the playoffs. Yes, he might be a player that still has potential. You're getting somebody who is first team all defensive NBA, clearly has court vision and a high basketball IQ, just has a lot of confidence issues when it comes to shooting. And so I think if they would have traded him last year before the trade deadline, they might've been able to try to get a haul like that, but you can't ask for a James Harden-esque package when he's not playing like James Harden. Um, No team's going to mortgage their future like that. And so getting everything in the tabloids and the headlines and then being like, JK, we want you back. I could see why Ben Simmons would be peeved at that, irrespective of how he played. And overall, I I do think that the Sixers are a little bit guilty and complicit in terms of trying to stir the pot. Yeah, I think they probably should have waited to try to trade him, maybe let his value recover a little bit during the regular season before they try to trade him. Obviously, trying to trade him and get value back at the lowest of his lowest point in his career was going to be a hard predicament. So they probably could have planned that one out a little better. Yeah, and the other question mark for me for the Sixers is they go out and they get Andre Drummond 
likely to start with Joel Embiid. And obviously he's not going to help space the floor at all. So it's going to be the same thing as what he did with the Lakers. Yeah, their, uh, their general manager seems to make one strange move after another. I think that Drummond could be good for them if he comes off the bench and would agree to that. I just don't know that that's a role that he would really like to do. But having Drummond and Embiid in the same front court together, that's and Ben Simmons as well, is probably going to be one of the worst space teams in the league. So I hope that um, they figure out a way to rotate those players so they're not all in the floor at the same time. Yeah, we'll see if uh, Doc has any tricks up his sleeve. But with that, that is the end of our show. That is the end of season one for Court of Opinion. Wanted to throw out some statistical facts here uh, for you in our last episode this season. So this will be our 37th episode. Uh, Over that time, we've uh, been played in 23 different states. Aside from the U.S., we've been played in four different countries. So really appreciate uh, everybody tuning in. And, man, it has been a pleasure doing this season with you. I'm looking forward to us growing and expanding in the next year. Uh, but this has been awesome. Definitely has been great, man. Um, looking forward to season two. Hope you all enjoyed the show and definitely stay tuned for the future. Um, we'll have new segments, new themes, and a better show for season two. Yeah, look to that in the, probably in the next month or so uh, as the NBA 2021-2022 season begins heating up as the season gets closer. All right. So for a final time for season one, court is adjourned. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Meister.